Several years ago, I was doing a, uh, a Bible study where there were scriptures all over the place. And so I didn't say, open up your Bibles to such and such a passage. And at the end of the service, somebody came up to me and they said, I'd like to have my Bible open while you're preaching. So would you please at least tell us someplace to open the Bible? And so if you'd like to have your Bible open, and by the way, I thank you for bringing your Bible to church or your Bible app or however you read the Bible nowadays, Acts 17 will be where we are uh, in a few minutes for a minute or two, but that would be a, a good place for you to open your Bible, Acts chapter 17. Over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about the fact that in times of uncertainty, it's important to focus on the things that are certain. That in times where we're overwhelmed by the unknown, we need to focus on what we know. And what we know is who we know, which is God. And what is certain is that God is still in control. He is still God. And in times of chaos and confusion, we need to keep going back to that touch point that God is still God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. We can trust him. And so we are in the very early stages of a several week long series about knowing God. And we're going to talk about who God is, what he's like. Much of this, if you've been in church for very long, will be just review. Maybe some of it will be new to you. But I, am, I, I became convinced over the last couple of months that this is where we needed to be this summer, focusing on God, focusing on Him. We spend so much of our lives of necessity, you know, focused on getting to work, getting the job done, making the, the bills, doing all of those things that it's helpful for us and necessary for us to focus on God. And last week we looked at the verse where God says, you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And you remember maybe from our study of Proverbs and other Old Testament studies that that word that's translated into the English heart involves your mind, your will, and your emotions. And if you've not heard last week's sermon yet, find last week's sermon. It would be July the 25th, 2021. And, and we talk in more detail about this. But all three of these should be involved in our growing in the knowledge of God. It starts with our mind, our intellect. We have to know the right facts about God. You notice I titled the message today, Thinking Right Thoughts About God. There are a lot of people who don't believe in God because the God they don't believe in is a God that doesn't exist. And they have this warped concept of who God is. And if I thought that's who God was, I probably wouldn't believe in him either. And so it's important that our minds are engaged, that we study the word, that we study God's revelation, that we meditate on it, that we think through the implications of how that impacts how we live, our mind must be involved. As we learn facts about God, it should involve then our emotions. Uh, you may not consider yourself an emotional person. You may not be a very emotional person. But every once in a while, the thought of, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
ought to cause some kind of an emotional feeling, right? The, the, the thought of, I'm forgiven of my sins. I can go to heaven. You know, God's grace got me through that struggle. Every once in a while, we, we should be a little overwhelmed with God's love and his grace and his mercy and his goodness to us. And our emotions should get involved as we learn more about God. But thinking the right thoughts is not enough. Feeling the right things is not enough. We must do the right things. And that's where our will comes into play. There's a lot of people who go to good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches who know lots of facts about God and who can get emotional talking about God, but it never impacts how they live once they leave the church building. And that's the secret to knowing God is your will must be involved. Jesus says, whoever has my commands and obeys them, that's the one who loves me. And if you love me, and this is an incredible verse, it's John chapter 14, verse 21. If you love me, my father will love you and I will love you and I will reveal myself to you. For a lot of people, the missing element in their knowledge of God is they haven't gotten around to obeying what they know. So over these next few weeks, we're going on a journey that I'm calling Godology. Ology means words about. So Godology is words about God. I, I learned that word the first time way back a long time ago. There was a, a contemporary Christian group called Bash in the Code, and they sang a song that said, I want to learn Godology and it kind of stuck in my mind. Um, words about God. Uh, I found somebody had written a book called that. Uh, J.I. Packer has written a book called Knowing God. A.W. Tozer has written a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. So if you prefer a more dignified title, you can cross out Godology and put The Knowledge of the Holy or Knowing God or something like that, because that's where we're going to be over these next few weeks so that we can have the correct facts about who God is, that will lead to an appropriate emotional response and ultimately to obedience to what God is calling us to do. I encourage you, if you've not read A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, uh, I'm quite sure you can find it online. Um, it is a tremendous devotional book on the attributes or the characteristics of God. And in that book, he says this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now stop and think about that. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'm going to give you some statements that I've heard and you think about what that tells you about what that person thinks when they think about God. I have stood at a casket and heard people say, why does God always take the good ones? I have been with heartbroken couples who asked the question, why did God take my baby? 
I have heard people say to them, well, God needed another angel, and so he took your child. Well, to use the strongest language that I ever heard my dad use, baloney. <laughs> that was his response, baloney. I work with a lady whose 12 or 13-year-old daughter was shot and killed by somebody that they thought was a family friend. Her son, a younger brother to the girl who was killed, discovered her body. And trauma enough with his sister being killed, then discovering the body, obviously ended up in therapy. And the lady that I work with said, he was in therapy the other day, and the therapist told her, God wanted your sister, so he took her. Well, thankfully, the young man had more sense than the therapist did and said, no, God didn't take her. And then he named the kid who shot her. He took her. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us because what we think about God will determine how we live. We need to understand that. I heard someone say, my dad died when I was just a kid. And when I asked my mom why my dad died, she said, God takes the good ones. And he said, think what a kid would say to that. I decided I wasn't going to be a good one because I didn't want God taking me. And he wasn't a good one. But you, you understand that what we think about God determines how we live. It's so incredibly important that we have the right information about God. If we think he only takes the good ones, we're not going to be good. If we think he's in the habit of you know killing people because he needs angels, we're going to have problems loving him and serving him and worshiping him. If we think he's some kind of a tyrant who's waiting up there in heaven for us to be less than perfect so he can zap us, you're not going to love him. You're not going to worship him. If you don't think he cares about what's going on in your life, you're not going to pray. If you don't think he cares about how you live, why should you care how you live? A.W. Tozer, again in his book, writes, No people has ever risen above its religion, and no religion is ever greater than its idea of God. Tony Evans, a more contemporary author, in his book, Our God is Awesome, writes, Understanding who God is provides us with understanding and insight for living. Far too many Christians live in what I would call a state of unconscious Christianity. They have no idea as to how the world works from a Christian perspective. And when trials come their way, they are caught totally off guard and unprepared to wage war against the spiritual forces of wickedness. A right conception of God is basic to what you believe about everything else. It is essential as the foundation to prayer, 
to worship, to praise, to service. It's the foundation of ethics and morals and lifestyle. The first step toward disaster in your individual life, in the life of a society, is to get away from a biblical understanding of who God is. So over these next few weeks, we're going to try to learn who God is by studying what in church we call the attributes of God, that is the characteristics of God. Somebody put it this way, anything that God has revealed about himself is an attribute of God. And I encourage you to use the notes that I'll be giving you from week to week as a starting point for your own study. In the description section, if you're watching us on YouTube, in the description section, there will be a link to a devotional study by the Navigators called Praying the Names and Characteristics of God. Uh, I, I've sent it to each of you. I encourage you to use It's very basic, very simple, but it, it will be kind of an adjunct devotional asset as we go through this study of God. Because it's important for us to know who he is. Uh, and again, I hope, if I didn't make it clear, I hope you realize I don't think God's in the business of killing babies and needing more angels and all those kind of things. And we're going to learn about who God is over these next few weeks. We're going to start with some very basic ones. The, these are maybe a little more ethereal, but they form the foundation for everything else. God is self-existent and self-sufficient comes from Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives himself, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Catch that. He doesn't need anything. God never said, if you remember the movie, you complete me to anybody. God is complete in and of himself. Nothing can be added to him. Nothing can be taken from him. He is complete in himself. He is answerable to nobody. He doesn't need my permission. Well, it was frustrating when I learned that. He, he didn't need my permission or my okay to do anything. He's God, period. Maybe you all have seen the t-shirt that says, because I'm the mommy, that's why. Well, well, God has one that says, because I'm God, that's why. You know, he, He's God. He doesn't need anybody to complete him. That's what sometimes when you read in the Old Testament, and, and, and Moses, for instance, in Exodus, well, who shall I say sends me? And God says, I am that I am. Basically, what that means is, I'm God. I'm complete in myself. That's all you need to know. He is not dependent. Sometimes we, we have this impression that God has created the world, and he's up in heaven, and he's lonely. Poor God, he's so lonely, and he feels so incomplete and unsatisfied that he says to himself, I know I'll make human beings. They will complete me, and I will feel better. Again, to use my dad's word, baloney. 
if he needed us to fill some need in him, then we would be necessary for God to be God. And how much more arrogant can you get than that? God doesn't need us. Now, I'm going to give you a second to kind of catch your breath and get your sobbing under control. God doesn't need us. He loves us. He wants us to know him. And in his amazing grace, he will use us and he will allow us to participate in his work. But he doesn't need us. Well, he needed Noah to build the ark. You think? The God who said light and there was light needs, you know, know, he could have said ark and there was an ark. God doesn't need us. He created us not because he needed us. He created us because in his sovereign divine wisdom, he knew that creating us would be the best way for him to demonstrate his glory and his grace. This is what he says in Isaiah 43, 7. I created you for my glory. Now, when you stop and think about that, that ought to make you feel incredibly good. God does not need me. But he chose to create me and love me because he chose to. Not because he needed to, but because he chose to. The truth of the matter is, we desperately need him. In him, we live and move and have our being. Paul says in Colossians, we have received fullness through him. We are complete in him. It's not he's complete in us. It's we're complete in him. And if he is self-sufficient, if he has everything that he needs within himself to be God, and he is our God, then he has made available himself to us so that we can say, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, so that we can say, I can do all things through Christ who puts his strength in me. God doesn't need us but he has a voluntary relationship to us. He created us to have fellowship with him because he chose to do it. You know, before I became a Christian, God was not up in heaven pacing back and forth, wondering how in the world can I get Wilson to give his life to me so that I can do something down on that earth. You know, how arrogant is that? He didn't need me but he chose me. That's staggering. He doesn't need any of us, but he will work through any of us who make ourselves available to him. What an amazing God. Doesn't need us a bit, but will work through us. I got to tell you, if I was God, I wouldn't have done that. (laughs) 
you know, and, and the thing about it is, is that he knew, he knew we were going to mess things up. And he created us anyway. And he created us with a will. Anyway, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He created us with the ability to obey him or disobey him. That's up, that's up to us. How many times on the job have you said to yourself, you know, if I could do my job with all these without all these people getting in the way, I could do my job. And most of the time, that's kind of true. And But how many times must God have been up in heaven? I, you know, we know he wasn't. But, you know, in my mind, he's up in heaven shaking his head and said, why in the world did I ever decide to create them? You know, I could have done things a whole lot easier if they hadn't been there to mess things up. But he has chosen to work through us. He has chosen to use us to impact other people for him. That's amazing. He doesn't need any of us, but he will work through anyone who makes themselves available to him. And that's why Paul could say, we are laborers together with God. And how incredible is that a way to live your life? On your job, in your family, in the people you run in contact with, that you are working with God to impact people for him. Second, God is spirit. That is to say, he does not have a body. I think you know that. He is spirit. Now, so I say, yeah, but I heard about the eyes of God and the hands of God and the ears of God. Well, that's a thing called anthropomorphism where we use human terms to try to describe God. We know that he is spirit. He does not have a body. But we talk about the ears of God because that helps us to understand that he listens to our cry. We talk about the eyes of God because that helps us understand that he sees what we're going through. We talk about the hand of God because it helps us understand him at work in our lives. That doesn't mean he has a physical hand or physical eyes or ears. It's an anthropomorphism. He is spirit. The Holy Spirit is spirit. The second person of the Trinity, Christ, was spirit until the incarnation, which is Christmas, when the Word became flesh. And he took upon himself the form of a human being. That's when Jesus became limited to a body. Which is why, when he got ready to go back to heaven, he told his disciples, it's good for you that I go back to heaven. Because I can only be one place at a time. But if I go back to heaven, I will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as Spirit, can be with each of you wherever you go. So, so understand, God is spirit, the Holy Spirit is spirit, and that's important for us to know. However, don't ever make the mistake of calling God or the Holy Spirit it. There's a, there's a song out, um, send it on down, Lord, send it on down, send the Holy Spirit on down. The Holy Spirit is not an it. God is not an it. They are a person. He has a mind, he has a will, he has emotions. The Bible talks about grieving the Spirit of God and quenching the Spirit of God. God is spirit, 
but he is person. He is a living person with personality, and we can communicate with him. He is not an inanimate object. He is not an impersonal force. He is a personal God who is also invisible, and you understand that too. Christ was seen by the people of the first century, but God and the Holy Spirit are invisible. Colossians 1, the invisible God. 1 Timothy 1, the King eternal, immortal, invisible. Now, I hope that I can clarify this. That should not spook you out that God is invisible. Rather, it should comfort us. Because here's what that means. God is spirit. He is the invisible spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. And we communicate to God primarily through our spirits. We can know God apart from seeing him or hearing him. We can know him spirit to spirit. And when our spirits are born again through the new birth, we can then have communication with God through our spirits anytime, any place, under any circumstance. Now, we come into a church building because we meet together for fellowship and study and prayer and so on. And religious symbols are helpful. For some people, I mean, you go into some of these great cathedrals, and the people who know the history can tell you, you know, the religious significance of so much of what's going on in there. But th those aren't necessary to, to the worship of God. I, I have, on more than one occasion, felt that some of the most honest, true worship that I've ever experienced has been in my nursing homes with people sitting around singing badly off tune, some of them singing one verse while somebody else is singing another verse and somebody else is singing another song entirely, but their spirits are communicating with God. I, in my work as, as a healthcare chaplain, I have seen the power of the human spirit communicating with God who is spirit. When you bring somebody into the Bible study that has not made an intentional, meaningful sound or gesture in years, and they roll their chair into Bible study, and we start saying the 23rd Psalm, and I watch their lips start to move. When we sing in the garden, and I watch their lips start to move. What is that? That's their spirit worshiping God who is spirit. See, that's the exciting thing about God being spirit. You can worship him through your spirit. Anywhere you are, you can worship him driving down Washington Road. Lots of us pray a lot driving down Washington Road. But you can worship him driving down Washington Road. You can worship him pushing the vacuum cleaner through your living room. You can worship him walking from one classroom to the other. You can worship him anywhere because he is a spirit. He is invisible. And your spirit can reach out to his. That's incredible who God is.
He is not limited to a building. His spirit is everywhere. And he is infinite. He has no limits. Psalm 147, verse 5, his understanding is infinite. He is beyond any kind of measurement. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no limits. That means I can't understand him. I can know more about him. And my prayer is each week we learn more about him or we are reminded of what we know about him. That doesn't mean we can understand everything about him. There's no limits to his knowledge. When we talk about the fact that God knows everything, he knows everything. He knows all of the options. He, he knows all the possibilities. He knows everything. There's no limit to his power. Aren't you glad for that? There's no limit to his love. Aren't you glad for that? As we've sung already today, there's no limit to his mercy. There's no limit to his grace. Back during the days of the back in the 70s or whenever it was, when there was the oil shortage and the gasoline shortage, and we had the gas lines and all those kind of things, um, a, a gospel group came out with a song called There's No Shortage. There's no shortage of God's mercy. There's no shortage on God's love. There's some things that just never run out. And God is one of them. He is the infinite God. Let's be real. None of us would be here. You wouldn't be watching if it weren't for the infinite power and love and wisdom and grace and mercy of God. As I was mulling on this over the last couple of nights, a couple of songs came to my mind. If you, again, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, if you'll go to the description section, there'll be a link there to both of these songs. We don't have the time to listen to them this morning. But one of them is an, uh, an older song called He Giveth More Grace. You can tell it's an older song because it has giveth in it. But it, it says, He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. He goes on to say, When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, Ere the day is half done. You ever had one of those days where it's like, oh, man. Uh, you know, you saw the post that said, I was thinking, man, this has been a pretty good Friday so far. And then somebody reminded me it was Monday. You know, but sometimes you have those days where before the day is half done, you're done. Then it says, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, you know, we all have those resources that get us through, and then we have those things that we kind of hold back for emergencies. You ever been to where your hoarded resources were done and you didn't have anything? When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite, there's that word again, out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. A guy that Donna and I have had the privilege of meeting and uh, 
had him in one of our churches to minister to, his name is Gordon Jensen, wrote a song called Grace Upon Grace. He says he was at the beach one day and he was just watching the waves come in. And it reminded him that's what God's grace is like. And he wrote this song. Like the ocean and waves ever seeking the shore, to his children comes the grace of the Lord. And like a mighty sea so deep and so wide, his grace to us is an endless supply. And then he quotes from that passage in Romans 1, we have received grace upon grace, like the waves on the shore. Always enough, always more. Grace upon grace, like the waves on the shore, all that we need is ours from the Lord. And then he says, in daylight or midnight, the waves touch the shore. One on another, they faithfully pour. Summer or winter, they never subside. And so our gracious Father provides grace upon grace. Always enough. Always more. All that we need. He is an infinite God. Whatever you need from him today, he has more than enough. Thank you for that, Father. Because we run out of stuff. We run out of patience and we run out of energy and we run out of ideas. And it's so good that we serve a God who never runs out of anything. You are the infinite God. And Lord, you know what's going on in each of our lives. You know what's going on in the lives of those who are watching and whenever it is that they're watching. You know what's going on in the lives of those of us in this room. We need that infinite supply of grace upon grace. We need to know that you are a God who doesn't need us, but yet you have chosen to create us and to work through us. How incredible is that? that you choose to work through us to touch the lives of other people. Thank you for that incredible gift of working with you. Help us, Father, to be the right example of who you are. A lot of people get their idea about God from what they see and hear from us. So, Lord, may we give accurate information of who you are. And Lord, there are just a lot of times where there aren't any answers. And, and we're smart if we just tell people, I don't know. But Lord, we know why we trust you. And you know. And help us to get to the part where that's okay with us. That you know. And that's enough. Because we trust you. Our never failing, never changing always present, infinite God. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and give you his infinite peace now and evermore. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here today. You're dismissed.